1: The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Hour number two Bruce Hooley Show. Heavy today on a reflection On last night's Republican Senate Leadership Forum at Genoa in Westerville. Pretty packed house. Aaron, how many seats did you say, uh, would you say, were empty? The venue seat's about 1,500, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: with the the people, there was such a big area and people out at the tables and in the hallways.
1: I'd say maybe at the most 200. 200 empty. Yeah, with okay. with those people out in the building. Yeah, with the, yeah. they're in the building but not in their seats. Okay, so uh, it was reported by both the plane dealer and by Julie Carr Smith or Smythe of the Associated Press that the attendance was 950. Now listen, I was a reporter for a long time. If I were assigned to this event last night, I would want to know and I would want to report how many people were at the event. And I would go up to an organizer. I would go up to somebody from CCV, somebody from 9890 Answer, and I would say, how many tickets did you sell to the event? oh 1200 oh okay i would go outside and i would ask the ushers we have any walk ups tonight anybody coming in here without a ticket buying a ticket here and then i would wait till the event started and get 10 15 20 minutes in i'd look around at the back and i'd see how many empty seats there are and i would base my guess on that nobody trying to give an accurate count of the number of people in that room last night would have said that a third of the venue was empty nobody Yet that's the number being reported. Now, why is that number being reported? Is it consequential? Not really. But it shows you the effort that goes into marginalizing an event. You can't take it serious. They can't take it serious. 950 people on a rainy Sunday night. It's a lot of people. So it's stupid to like try to demean it with 950 when it was every bit of twelve or 1,300 people. But you say, Julie Carr-Smythe, Bruce. You've mentioned her name on the show before. I have. I have mentioned her name on the show before. Remember in the story she wrote about local school board elections being volatile this year? And she said that, you know, these conservative candidates are running. They are accusing schools of teaching critical race theory, which they are not. She wrote that, which they are not. Like, what's her basis for that? Has she surveyed every school district in the state of Ohio. Clearly no. You know, there are plenty here in central Ohio that are teaching it. So I reached out to her to try to get a comment from her, and she didn't respond. So I'm not going to waste my time trying to get a comment from from her on her latest bit of twisted reporting because she's not an honest broker. She works for the Associated Press, which used to be an honest outlet, but is no longer an honest outlet because here's what she wrote off last night's final question from Hugh Hewitt. And the question from Hugh Hewitt was, Will you come back and do another one of these forums in March? And would you, if so, insist on, if the mainstream media wants to do one of these, would you insist on a conservative person like Q's center-right? I'm admittedly further right than that. But would you insist on somebody coming who's not PBS, plane dealer, Cincinnati Enquirer, because they're all going to be leftists. They're all going to be Julie Carr Smythe. Here's how she wrote it. At the end of the forum, sponsored by the Center for Christian Virtues American Leadership Forum, moderator Hugh Hewitt, a conservative radio host and author, tried to extract a promise from the candidates that they would refuse to participate in any debate against Democratic U.S. Representative Tim Ryan, should he win his primary, in which media outlets or reporters he dubbed liberal were sponsors or panelists. That's not what Hugh Hewitt asked. That is not even close to what Hugh Hewitt asked. He said, will you do it? And they all said, yes. And then he said, would you try to get somebody on there who would represent you? And here's the other thing she wrote, which is a blatant lie. She quotes Hugh saying, had my friends in the legacy media been here, you would have been asked about January 6th and then January 6th again, which is terrible. Now, from her quote, you would think Hugh is saying that being asked about January 6th is terrible. That is not what he said. He said, you would have been asked about January 6th and January 6th again and January 6th and Donald Trump's role in in January 6th. And we all agree that January 6th was terrible. That's what he said. She makes it sound like the mere fact that you'd be asked about January 6th is terrible. That's not what Hugh Hewitt said. It's not at all what he said. It's not even close to what he said. And there is no chance, zero chance, zip nada, zero, that Julie Carr-Smythe is confused on that. Julie Carr-Smythe sent this out all over the world because that's what the Associated Press does. It appears on a website, U.S. News and World Report, they have no way of knowing that she's a dishonest broker because they assume if she's working for the Associated Press, which they shouldn't assume this, but they do, Get down the middle here from the Associated Press with no opinion injected at all. That's not even opinion. She's just wrong. And she's maliciously wrong. She's purposely wrong. Again, Hugh Hewitt doesn't need me to defend him. It's not so much a defense of Hugh as it is a way to remind you once again, and I do this periodically when we go through a dispatch story where the words are loaded and the headlines are stacked and the leftist slant is clear and obvious how to spot that. So this is just another yet regrettable instance of that. Now, back to the debate itself. Here is Mike Gibbons opening statement last night in answer to the question, why can you beat Tim Ryan?
2: I'm a businessman. I'm not a politician. And uh, I think the last thing this this state wants right now is another career politician in office. I can't tell you how physically ill I get every time I hear a career politician pump their arm and say I'm going to create jobs, jobs, jobs. They don't have the slightest idea how a job is created. Uh, jobs are created by business people taking risk. And we've got to get government out of uh, out of business regulation. We've got to uh, to make sure that tax rates stay low. And this guy stands for just the opposite. Now. I also come from a working-class background. My grandfather was president of local labor union, labors union in Cleveland. I'm going to get union support. Um, my ethnicity is great, particularly in Cuyahoga County. Uh, Tim Ryan is going to have his hands full. Because frankly, I don't think a career politician knows enough to get elected in this state.
1: Okay, so that's a good answer from Mike Gibbons. But it's not as good an answer as it could be if he'd polished it up Get faster, get more pronounced, get more punctual with it. The stuff about politicians don't know how to create jobs, that's a Bafo answer. Fantastic answer. Awesome answer. He's totally right. Totally right. Sherrod Brown, no clue how to create a job. The only job Sherrod Brown's ever had is in the public sector. But I bring Sherrod Brown up because is there more of a quintessential disproving of Mike Gibbon's statement that a career politician can't get elected, then the guy who, if Mike Gibbons get elected, gets elected, will be the other senator from Ohio, Sherrod Brown. Sherrod Brown's a career politician. He was boy wonder politician when he ran for the Ohio House when he was 21. Sherrod Brown's been on the public dole his entire life. Sherrod Brown is what's wrong with politics, not just in Ohio, but nationally. But Mike Gibbons saying, eh, career politician, can't get elected. Look, it's not just Sherrod Brown. Mike DeWine's a career politician. How long has Mike DeWine been a politician? How many people in the state house have been in there forever? Like, yeah, it sounds great, but it's just not accurate. It's just not accurate. So, this is where Mike Gibbons has to sharpen his message. He's got a lot going for him. I don't know anything about his personal wealth situation. It must be vast because I know he's put a ton of money into TV ads. But. The first part of that answer, great. More of that, less of the stuff at the end. I think sometimes last night people talked for 75 seconds because they were waiting for the bell, and they would have been better served to just stop talking. One of the people who were, the two people last night who I thought had the best internal clock making a cogent statement, finishing the statement, at or near the bell, Bernie Moreno, J.D. Vance. Josh Mandel I knew would go over the bell, and he did, multiple times, not in a not in a real super dislikable way. Only once did he do that, where it was like, okay, don't make him dig in it third time. Jane Timkin, the bell, she froze when the bell rang. She's just not comfortable in the spotlight, which you would expect because she's been behind the scenes for a long, long time. Now, I'll play Bernie's opening statement for you. And an answer from Matt Dolan, where he was taking a different position on infrastructure than his fellow candidates. And this is where Matt Dolan will have trouble with the Trump-allegiant aspect of the Republican Party. That's ahead on The Bruce Hooley Show. So uh, Julie Carr-Smythe has gotten back to me on Twitter said that she asked for a crowd estimate, and this is the answer we were given. Well, I would like to know who she spoke to. See, it doesn't count, Julie, if you ask your friend Andrew Tobias from The Plane Dealer, how many people you think are here? I don't know, 950. Okay, 950 it is. Let's agree. It's 950. I fail to find it authentic or possible that anybody from CCP or the answer would have told you 950. Because everybody last night in the pre-event buzz was talking about, we sold 1,200 tickets to this. This is amazing. People really care. And of course you care because you understand that, as Aaron Baer said in his comments beforehand, this is not just another election. It's not just another Senate spot. This is a consequential time in America because of what people go, oh, that's weird. That's tinfoil hat. Oh, you're some weirdo. Light and darkness. Yeah, it is a battle of light and darkness. It is a battle of good and evil. No, I'm not contending that Republicans have the market cornered on good. There are a lot of Republicans that are wayward. But I literally do not know. I do not know. This will be the Bruce Hooley comment of the day, that wacko Democrats can capture and play on Twitter, like they do Josh Mandel's out there comments about putting Mark Zuckerberg in jail or about the fact that I believe the election was stolen from Donald J. Trump. That one's being retweeted all over the place today. I really don't know how you can claim to be and authentically believe and argue that you are on solid spiritual ground, according to scripture, not according to me, but according to scripture. If you are a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat and support Democratic candidates, how can you support candidates who vote for abortion at any time? How can you support candidates who are pro-transgender and pro-everything, comprehensive sex education for kids? How? I just, 844-TALK-989. If you can argue it, feel free. The floor is open. Now, here is uh, Matt Dolan last night on the infrastructure bill. This is where he was asked, and all were asked, would you have, like Rob Portman, supported the infrastructure bill that's already passed, one point something trillion, for bridges, roads, and who knows what else. Here is Matt Dolan. Speak up, Matt. Here we go.
3: Rob Portman is fighting for Ohio, and I don't know how you can say you're not you're for Ohio if you didn't, wouldn't vote for this bill. Understand what this bill is. It is a very narrow infrastructure bill where half the money is paid for already by your gas tax. So if you're going to pay a gas tax, shouldn't we use it for what's intended to do, and that's build on your infrastructure? The remaining dollars, which does not add to the debt and is not a tax increase, come from, and it's been there from the very beginning, you read the bill, it comes from COVID relief dollars, and it comes from recouping dollars of fraudulent unemployment. So Rob Portman negotiated a deal that does not raise the debt or your taxes, and this bill does affect us every day. It affects our commerce. You go to Cincinnati, there is a bridge where 3% of our GDP goes across it. We need to make sure commerce can flow. How do you go to Appalachia and say, I'm for you, I'm fighting for you, but I'm not willing to give you broadband? These are significant investments in our electric grid. You know, folks, we want to move on to the new technologies. If we don't have a grid ready to, t- to take it on and to be secure from any cyber attack, what are we doing? We're putting our livelihoods at risk.
1: Okay, so that's a typical Matt Dolan answer. That's a wonky policy answer. That's a Rob Portman kind of answer. Matt Dolan's going to be fine making some compromises to get things done and he's all about the legislative process that's his lane now he says he's read the bill i don't like it when you go "Wow, well, if you read the bill like the rest of you knuckleheads didn't read the bill jd vance claims he's read the bill and this is jd vance every man answer which i didn't you know he doesn't go into the crazy fast lane like josh Mandel's does not jd vance gives a answer here that I think bought him some goodwill with the crowd. You know, R- Rob's done a lot of good things for the state, but I think this infrastructure bill was a disaster. I think it was a disaster because it spent a lot of money, to Mike's point, that we don't have. But look, if you look at some of the provisions in this bill, it included something called the Transportation Equity Act of 2021. I imagine most people have never heard of it. One of the things it does is address the terrible scourge in this country of too many male truck drivers and not enough female truck drivers. Right? <laughs> this is the sort of thing that gets counted as infrastructure in Washington, D.C. these days. That's not infrastructure. It's totally bogus. It's probably not even neutral. It's a terrible thing to add into federal law. So we're spending money we don't have for terrible ideas. It's, it's like a triple loss for our country and for the state of Ohio. That's an answer that everybody can relate to, because it's totally believable that the Biden administration would sneak in some kind of, you know, woke, oh, we need more female truck drivers. Oh, here, you want your bridges? Eh, we got to get our female truck, which there's nothing wrong with female truck drivers, but do we have to legislate that? That's stupid. So that's how J.D. Vance answered it, and it really, uh, I thought, did a good job. Mike Gibbons had a good answer on the infrastructure side, too. J.D. Vance uh, alluded to it, because this came a bit before J.D.'s response.
2: I would not have supported the infrastructure bill. This country is broke, and uh, I, I, spent, I spent much of my early, early career financing infrastructure projects. This bill's not about infrastructure projects. We just we 're going to run a three trillion dollar deficit this year. You don 't do things you don 't have to do. Matt just said it we 're already paying a gas tax. We can build the bridge between Cincinnati and Kentucky with the gas tax that's in existence. it's so another reason to spend more money that Republicans have to stand up and just say no. You know, Ohio, it's about Ohio, yes, but Ohio won't be here if the entire country goes down the tubes. And, uh, and that's exactly where we're headed with this crazy spending on the part of Democrats.
1: Also, a very good everyman answer. People can relate to that. Here's Bernie Moreno. Would you have supported the infrastructure bill? The
4: bill does not do real infrastructure, number one. And number two, It's, we do not need more spending. We do not need more spending. We've probably forgotten that in January, the Democrats passed a $1.9 trillion bill called the American Rescue Plan. So as Republicans, we can't just sit up here and say, no, that's bad, no, that's bad, no, that's bad. We have to offer a solution. And the solution certainly can't be to do more of what the Democrats want. I said back in May, before this became a popular issue, that we should take the american rescue money which was a big huge boondoggle that was the boondoggle and allow the states the cities and the counties to reuse that money for what all of us in this room consider real infrastructure now the good news is the senate just realized that and two days ago passed that resolution
1: also i thought a good answer The fact that it shows that bernie Moreno is aware of what's going on in washington right now he's not going to parachute in if he's elected next november and have to like figure out oh, where are my bearings, what's going on. He showed an awareness of legislative issues right now. And I think he showed an understanding of the fact that you know you have to work with the other side, but we can't just do what they want to do. Uh, Matt Dolan gave an answer that I think shows the danger of giving an inch because of the mile that the Democrats will take. We will we'll get to that at 1245. But Janet Yellen did an interview with Jake Tapper yesterday with a lot of really crazy stuff that affects your money. Josh Pick will help us sort that out. Next.